0: I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I came in this morning. I had message ready for this morning. And yes, I do have the right Bible with me. I didn't the other day. I would left the Bible. I had the message in on my desk. But I felt like instead of what I had prepared, God would have me to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Deal with a subject that is not a common subject. It has to do with the chastening of God's people. If you're saved, that means the chastening that God puts on you. Now, don't come to me after the service and say, Preacher, God never chastens me, because according to the passage of Scripture we're going to read, that would mean that you're not one of God's children, because He chastens all of His children and it's not pleasant. I'm going to begin reading in verse 4 when he says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. For they verily for a few days, again, I want to repeat this verse, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his what? Who's the we? That's us. He wants us to be takers, partakers of his holiness. Perhaps it'd be good to do a study after this simply on how God looks at holiness and how he wants holiness among his people. But I have another verse to read. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but what? Grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. Take these spiritual truths that are ignored by so many believers today. And yet, this is a vital lesson for every child of God that has a love for God. Please, Lord, I pray the Spirit of God would teach us. Rebuke us, chasten us, and God, correct us. And Lord, I pray for any without Christ. May the Spirit of God convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, turning their heart to you. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I feel it's important when we get to this passage of Scripture that we be reminded of what the context is because context determines an awful lot of things in the Scripture. If you don't know the context, you'll be easily led astray by cults. Cults are good at pulling half of a verse, part of a verse, uh, out of context to try to make it say something that it's not saying. So in the context of this whole book, it's being written to a bunch of Hebrew Christians. People have been born again. They've been living for the Lord, but they've been having persecution. Now, evidently, not a blood persecution. None of them had been killed yet. None of them had been wounded yet. But nevertheless, they were experiencing persecution. Persecution that they did not have when they simply followed uh, the precepts of the Old Testament law and worshiping according to that. But now that they had claimed Christ as Savior, they were suffering through persecution, so much so that some of them were thinking about going back to what they practiced before they trusted Christ as Savior. And so he he writes to these people to let them know, wait a second, don't go back. What you have in Jesus Christ is so much better than anything you had in practicing the tenets, the formalities of Judaism under the law. He lets them know, first of all, that Christ is a better person, that he's better than the prophets, that he's better than the angels, that he's better than Moses, that he's better than Aaron, that Christ is better than all of them. Now, don't misunderstand. These people were very, very special and very, very special in the Old Testament And as a matter of fact, even today, thank God for the word of God that we got from Moses, for instance. Uh, Very important. We see Christ throughout all that he had given. But not only that, Christ has a better priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. It's a better order. His priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. And we don't have time to identify him if you don't know who he is, but you can go back and read chapter 5 and then chapter 6 and 7 and 8 of the book of Hebrews and you'll have a better understanding. And then we also have a better principle and that principle is faith. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter 11 is all dealing with examples of faith and then he deals with individual faith and a lifetime of faith and a lasting faith, all of that. Now remember, these people are under persecution. It wasn't an easy road for them in their Christian life. They faced different types of persecution in their daily life. When they went to the stores, when they were in their neighborhoods, all of that, they faced persecution. So after giving some positive examples of faith in trials, letting them know that what they have in Christ is far better than anything they had before. That in Jesus Christ, it's worth it all. We live in such a prosperous society today that we think everything ought to be easy. Our Christian life ought to be easy. Everything ought to be fun and enjoyable. And that's just not the way it is. As a matter of fact, Paul warned the believers in 2 Timothy chapter 3... He said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The reality is, if you don't suffer any persecution, you're not walking very godly. Because the world never has liked godly Christians. It is a conviction to them. We want, they want people to wallow in the mud exactly like they do and they're going to persecute people that don't. That's the reality. Now, we don't know who the human author of this book is. We know God is the author of every word in the Bible, for the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Some people think that Paul was a human author, And there's some reasons to believe that. and There's some reasons to believe that it could not be him. But it doesn't matter because God is the author of the whole book. And that makes it authoritative enough right there. In chapter 11, we saw both examples of faith and we also were witness to endurance of faith in the different ones that are mentioned. He even tells them, beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, all those people who by faith, whether they saw victories or went through trials, that they are witnessing what we are doing and how we are living for God. And I wonder how many times they must be embarrassed and how quickly we are to give up, to get mad, to drop out, ...simply because we got our feelings hurt. We know nothing about what the church has been through through the centuries. I think, I think perhaps uh, any of these people would stand up and cry out to the church in 2022... ...grow up! Just grow up and get serious about the God that saved you. So then he tells them to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith... Uh, It is amazing how little it takes to get people to quit. They'll quit serving God. They'll quit a ministry. Let me tell you something. You get in the ministry, you're going to have some trials. I mean, it's kind of like you can stand on the sideline of a football game and never get hit. But as soon as you get on the field and take part in the play, someone's coming after you to get your number. As the songwriter said, it's a battlefield brother, not a recreation room. The Christian life is not a vacation. There are things to be done, and there is an enemy that doesn't like what God's people do for him. But on top of that, there is a God who wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And so there's going to be chastening training that's going to be difficult. Uh, For instance, I mentioned sports a moment ago with football. Uh, Right now, most of all the teams that are out there, whether they be college or professional, they're into some kind of training. And they go through some very, very hard training. Why do they do that? So they can make it in the game. They go through some very, very difficult training. And sometimes it tears them down physically. But they need that or they won't have a chance playing against people who've had training you go into the armed services. And the first thing they do in the armed services is they put you in boot camp for some hard training because they don't need a bunch of softies on the battlefield. They need some people that will know how to fight and will know how to stand and to weed out those who won't stand ahead of time so that they can win the battle. That's what it's about. And God chastens His children You can count on it. Now I want you to notice some things here. First of all, two wrong ways to respond to the chastening hand of God. If you look at verse 5, he says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. He says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Now you may be going through a hard time because you've not been obedient to God. You've not been living for God. Or you may be going through a hard time because God's got things for you to do down the line and you're not ready to do them yet. You're going to have to go through some hard times so that you will stick to something and make yourself something for the glory of God. The idea here is to shake it off, not taking it seriously. That when troubles come, well, that's not for me. Everything's okay between me and God, and, uh, and I don't need to learn anything from this. No, if you're a child of God, you need to learn something from it. God's got things to teach you. Now, it is possible, as a child of God, you might be going through hard times simply because you're reaping. For the Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. You sow sin, you're going to reap the results of sin. And it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be very, very difficult. Now, that's not chastening. That's just simply reaping. And then there are times where God puts us through chastening so we can do what he calls us to do. He did that to the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says the messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him. And that thorn in the flesh he had, he prayed three times for it to be taken away. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul cries out, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God says what I need you, Paul, I need you to be weak so that you can be strong. Say, preacher, it doesn't make any sense to me. Get in the book. It'll start making sense. Get in the word of God. When Christians have it too easy, Bible truth seems to escape them for some reason. So some despise the chastening hand of God. Not only, I mean, it is unpleasant. We know that. But don't despise it. God's got something for you in this. And then sometimes they faint. Notice he says, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, Now, God does rebuke his children, and we need to pay attention to those rebukes. He does it throughout the scripture. What he's saying is here about fainting is don't drop out, don't bail out. Too many times that happens to Christians. They just quit, stick it out. I believe this about our Bible college, our Bible seminary here at Madison Baptist Church... It has two main purposes. And the first is to train up people, to train people to serve the Lord. The second is to weed out those who won't stand when the hard times come. Because if they drop out, they'll do more damage by that than never getting in in the first place. The truth is, it gets tough, don't faint. It gets heartbreaking, don't faint. I mean, after all, you're dealing with people. You know what people do? They disappoint you. As a matter of fact, people, if they get careless in their spiritual life, will attack you. I mean, people that aren't right with God can say all kinds of nasty things against you. If you're going to drop out every time something happens you don't like, then you're never going to stick to anything. It's as simple as that. This isn't that hard to understand. I remember when I was in Bible college back in the nineteen seventies, there was a couple that came to school that my wife and I got to know. We became close friends. He had been an officer. I, I want to say uh, in the army, uh, and after he had got out of the uh, military, he was uh, he worked at a bank, but he got saved. God called him to preach and. And they came up to Tennessee Temple to go to school. Well, they were offered a position over one of the dorms, and it was one of the older dorms at Tennessee Temple, not one of those new things for any of you that have ever been on campus there. And life was tough. I mean, they didn't have extra money. None of us students had extra money. That's why we ate a lot of popcorn and macaroni and cheese. I mean, that basically was our diet going through Bible college. But that was all right. Um, but they got to where they were just getting discouraged, and one day he came to me, and he said, Brother Mike, he said, uh, I really, I, I think maybe I made an emotional decision, and so we're going to go back home to our home church, and I'm gonna get, I can get my job back at the bank, And uh, but the proof that he gave me that God didn't really call him was that he was in homiletics class, at, that's preaching class, And in his first message, he got a B. In his second message, he got an A. That was proof. I don't know how. That was proof God hadn't called him. Well, I had had the same professor. And I had talked to the professor about that B I got with my first message because I thought I'd done pretty good. And he said... Well, Mr. Allison, he said, I never give A's on the first speech. He said, because if I give you an A on the first speech, you won't be challenged to do better on the next one. So the reason the guy, that the other guy got a B on his first speech, because that was the best grade you could possibly get. And that was his sign that God really hadn't called him. That's nonsense. But when people get ready to faint, they will say some of the most nonsensical reasons for why they're dropping out of doing whatever they were going to do with God. What a sad thing that is, to faint or to despise. God is working. If you're a child of God, if you've truly been born again, God is working in your life. Don't despise it and don't faint at it but he has to toughen you up in his service. I mean, we live in a day today where everybody gets their feelings hurt about everything. They get offended. I want to tell you what, if, if you wear your feelings on your sleeve, you'll get offended here. Because I'm not going to pull punches on things. I'm just going to tell you like it is. I, I'm going to put it right out there. Uh, you can despise it. You can feign at it. I'm going somewhere where they're going to be nicer to me. You want the truth or not? I find the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked his disciples when they needed it. He went so far that you'll remember when Peter had the audacity to turn and rebuke Jesus in John chapter 16 after saying he was going to Jerusalem where he was going to go to the cross and be slain of the chief priest and scribe, and be raised the third day. Peter took him and rebuked him. And so Jesus turned to Peter in front of everybody and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And I don't believe he had a smile on his face when he did it. For his next words, he said, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Peter, grow up. Hey, Peter didn't go running off to another Messiah. Peter stayed right there with him. He stuck it out. He took it. So don't faint. Don't despise it. But remember, there's a proof and purpose in any chastening that God does in your life. Now, the first one, I love this, in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you're a child of God and you go through chastening, that's proof you belong to God. Because he does not chasten the devil's children. He chastens his own children. By the way, the devil can slip a lot of good things to one of his children. uh, But he doesn't have your best in mind. He's seeking your final destruction in hell. But God has our very best at heart, and He knows, pardon me, He knows what we need. And the reality is, we don't know what we need. The Bible tells us this, beginning in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many... Brethren, you can count on it. God has his best and your best in mind if you are one of his. That's why the Bible says, "In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, notice in this next verse, he says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement... Whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not son. Now, I know that word has become a curse word today. And a lot of people probably don't have a clue as to what it even means. It means you're illegitimate. He says, if you claim to be saved and God doesn't chasten you when you need it, you're not his. This is a proof of salvation. Now, my dad was one of those corporal punishment guys, and by the way, I am too because the Bible teaches it. But, you know, there was, as much as I hated to get a whipping from my father, there was this, he was whipping me because he was my father. And that was his responsibility. Dewey Allison was my dad. He didn't call the neighbor over to do it. He did it. Problem is, sometimes I think he enjoyed it just a little too much. (laughs) But God even mentions that in this passage. I want you to notice in verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, meaning our earthly fathers... They, verily for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasures, but he for our profit. You know, sometimes my dad spanked me just because I made him mad. Sometimes he spanked me just because his patience finally wore out. I know it's hard to believe I'd be such a wonderful kid to have as a son. And I can't understand why he didn't appreciate every minute that we had together. But fathers are like that. And I can't say, since my dad wasn't even saved, uh, he probably did not have the right purpose necessarily in mind every time he spanked me. But God always does. There's not a time that God just whoops on me because I've irritated him. Never. Never. If I would give reverence to my earthly father, how much more should I give reverence to my heavenly father that when the chastisement comes in my life, I know that it's only because he sees it as being the very best to work righteousness and holiness in my life. He has an end game. He has an end purpose, and it is always right. But notice this, verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, But grievous while you're going through it it's no fun I can't remember any time I was over my dad's knee or just simply bent over and that razor strap was coming down on my backside I can't think of one time when I ever enjoyed it but it made me the nicest guy you could ever meet (laughs) The truth is, if you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. You may be going through some trials right now. God hadn't forgotten you. God knows what his purpose is. And he says here to be a partaker of his holiness and it works righteousness in your life. And it will. See, that's the great thing about the Lord. He knows us inside and out. Uh, Church members can fool me. They can fool their Sunday school teacher. But you can't fool God. He knows exactly what I need. And he's going to make sure I get it. Because he loves me. I belong to him. Now, in order to be a child of God, you have to be born again. You have to be saved. If you're not saved, you're lost. You're undone. You're not even going to heaven. You need to turn to Jesus. If you want the kind of care that God gives to his children... If you want to spend an eternity with the God of heaven, then you must come to Jesus Christ and be born again. All other religions and all other so-called saviors will only have you go to hell where you burn for eternity. You want to escape that, you've got to come to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That leads me to the next point, and that's our responsibility. Look at verse 12. He says, wherefore, because of everything that he just said, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all man and what? That's what that chastening does. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, springing up troubled you, and thereby many are defiled. You see, if you get bitter over these things and you allow that bitterness to stop your service, to stop your walk with God as it once was and what you were doing for God, it defiles others instead of being a blessing All you show is the fleshly way the world works. No, he works that which is righteousness in us. Now, first of all, he tells us to strengthen ourselves. How do we do that? Well, you want to not despise it. You don't want to faint. First thing is praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. We have an example in the Apostle Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul, he was with Silas at Philippi when he cast a demon out of a young lady. That was being misused by, you know, the powers that be that were at Philippi. For that, he and Silas get arrested. They are beaten and they are thrown into stocks in the innermost part of the prison. And that night, Paul and Silas with their backs bloodied, their feet uncomfortably in stocks. The Bible says that they sang praises and prayed, and the prisoners heard them. I believe there's a reason why when the earthquake came and God opened up the prison doors, there's a reason why those prisoners didn't go running out. They realized that Paul and Silas were different men than anybody else they had shared a cell with. And there's a reason why the Philippian jailer, when he came into the prison, didn't fall down before the other prisoners, but fell down before Paul and Silas and cried, what must I do to be saved? These men were different. They had gone through great trouble. They had not prayed for release, but they praised God and prayed while they were going through it. And then as he says in verse 13, and make straight the paths for your feet. In other words, then walk straight. Don't vary the path of righteousness. It has the idea, so that which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Walk straight. By the way, that's part of keeping your heart with all diligence. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from the forward mouth. And he says, then you got to watch where you're, uh, what you watch. Be careful what you watch, and then be careful where your feet go. Make straight the paths of your feet. You make sure that you walk right, that you talk right. When trouble comes, when Paul faced troubles, he still did right. And then he says, follow peace. Keep your testimony. It's not hypocrisy when you praise God and you don't feel like it. If there's anybody on this planet that ought to be able to live above their feelings, it ought to be the redeemed. It ought to be God's children. I have to say after 40 some years of pastoring, to the shame of too many, I've heard some awful, horrible curse words come out of the mouths of believers simply because somebody irritated them or insulted them or got them mad. That should never happen from the mouth of a believer. There's no excuse. Do you understand that? There is no excuse. Period. No excuse. Why? We belong to God. We belong to God. Either he's real in your life or he isn't. And if he's not real in your life, maybe, just maybe, you need to check out your salvation. To see if you've really taken Christ as your saviors. And then in verses 15 through 17, he tells us to watch ourselves. This third time that he has told us to do that, to exhort one another. He did it in Hebrews 3.13 and Hebrews 10.25. As a matter of fact, I want you to get this. Let me go back and turn to these verses just a moment. Hebrews chapter 3. We're about done. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, this is to these believers. You'll notice in verse, he makes an interesting statement in verse 12. I'm going to read that too. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, he's talking to brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have a responsibility to one another as believers to exhort one another daily. Now, you pretty much know how I feel about live streaming, and we do live streaming. I think live streaming is a great blessing for those who are sick. But it is not a help to those who are well but don't come to church. Because all you're doing is getting some vocal preaching, but you can't do anything to exhort the believers. And we are commanded. One of the reasons we meet together is to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, we don't just come to church to be ministered to. We come to church to minister as well. That's part of all of us. But wait. Wait. Go over to chapter 10. Chapter 10. Notice, first of all, beginning in verse 24, he says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, we're good at provoking one another, but notice he says we're to provoke one another unto love and to good works. But he's not done not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. As we get closer and closer to Jesus coming back, we meet together. We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We meet together so we can be an encouragement to one another. Over the years, I've known Christians that count the number of people that come up to them and shake their hand. That is so absolutely wicked. Because the reality is, instead of being concerned about who is or isn't coming up to them, they ought to be going up to everybody they can and exhort them. All that type of an attitude simply shows is their own heart's unbelief. These people are going through a hard time. But you know, just about everybody I know has been through a hard time. And I found this out. The longer that you live, the more hard times you go through. I mean, I'm 72, and if I can make it just another three weeks, I'll be 73. That normally follows 72. If I can make it, listen, God didn't owe me 50. He didn't owe me 10. I mean, what? The great mercy of God. How can it be? How can it be that God should love a soul like me? But I I have to say those years have not been without trials. And in some cases, they've not been without tragedy. And they've not been without hard times and some difficult times. But everybody has to go through that. There isn't anybody that gets a free ride. Nobody. And God sees to it for his children because his children need the chastening. They need the scourging. And God knows, and he always does it for a right purpose. If you're here today and you have been going through some hard times, God's got something for you in your life, and it's kind of getting you down. You think about backing off, you think about quitting, you think about, oh my, I'm, I can't get mad at God, but I'm, I'm, I don't want this at all. Why don't you come to him and say, God, whatever it is, just take me as far as you want to go. I made a, one of my many great res- mistakes in my life. I was going to Bible college and I was pastoring Battle Creek Baptist Church It's no longer a congregation. Now, there may be a a Baptist church in Battle Creek, Tennessee, uh, just even a little farther down the road from where Battle Creek Baptist Church was, but it was a small little church between South Pittsburgh and Kimball, Tennessee. As a matter of fact, you could stand on the front porch and you could throw rocks out on I-24 and hit cars if you wanted to. I never did that, but you could do it if you wanted to. And we had a van but the drivetrain fell out of the van, so I couldn't pick up people. The church was right between Fiery Gizzard Cove and Sweetens Cove, and we would drive into South Pittsburgh and pick up some folks. But when the when the van broke down and we didn't have the money to fix it, then I had to use my little Gremlin car. And man, I was praying because I, I wanted to reach people. But the only way we could get a bunch of them there was simply go pick them up and bring them out, and. One time, I actually had 13 people in that little gremlin. If you don't know what a gremlin car is, look it up. You'll be amazed. I don't know if that was a Guinness record or not, but we had a bunch in there, stuffed them in there. And I'd pick them up and then take them home after the service, go back, pick them up for the evening service, and, and uh, take them home after the evening service, then drive the 35 miles back to Chattanooga. Um, I'll never forget the day. That I went into work. I was working at WMOC radio station. It was a gospel station in uh, Chattanooga. And I got out of the car and went back to the back of the car, and I lifted up the back window. And if you know anything about the Gremlins, they have only one hydraulic thing on one side of the window, which puts an awful lot of pressure on the welded spot on the other side of the window. And I lifted it up that day, and the window went plunk like that. Thought, how am I going to pick anybody up? I can't put them back here. I don't even know how I'm going to get this. Man, I was upset. I went down to uh, see my wife. She was working at a church as a church secretary. Told her what was going on. I went off to school and and uh, made a call about uh, the AMC people working on that Gremlin that day. And they said, "Can you?" I said, first of all, can you fix it?" They said, yeah, "We can fix it." And I said, "Great." I'll be down there, and I mentioned the time when I got out of school and I drove down there. I took my car in. I asked him how long it would be. He said it would be 30 to 40 minutes. I said fine. So I got my school work out, and I sat at a table doing the work. About 30 or 40 minutes later, they brought my car down. I put my stuff up. I went out to him. The guy got out of the car, and he said, we couldn't fix it. I said, what do you mean you couldn't fix it? He said, well, yeah, you know, it, it has two places to weld, And we don't think we can weld it without breaking the window. I said, no, wait a minute. I knew that it had to be welded just by looking at it. When I called you folks, surely you know your car, I said in a sweet Christian way. (laughs) Well, nevertheless, we can't fix it. So I got in my car. I was upset. Man, I'd been praying. I couldn't understand why God... Hadn't, hadn't fixed our van or, man, it wasn't making any sense to me and knocking myself out, driving all those miles. And by the way, that's the only church I ever pastored that paid me what I deserved, nothing. That was okay. We went back, we were living in an apartment building on Manor Lane in East Ridge, Tennessee. And I remember going up there, pulling around the backside of the apartment building Got out of my car, ran upstairs, unlocked the door, threw my uh, briefcase across the room. You never got mad like that, did you, Brother Weeks? (laughs) You look like that kind of guy to me. Anyway, I got down at the couch and I said, Lord, that's it. Don't take me any farther. Yeah, I did it. It was Wednesday. I was going to have to drive out to South Pittsburgh and be a blessing to those dear people on that Wednesday night. (laughs) So at that time, it was just Jan and I and little Kathy. Kathy was about three years old at that time, maybe three and a half. And... uh, we had the service. I picked up one or two, bring them to church, and then took them home. And we were driving back, and my wife was, I think she was asleep in the passenger side. Kathy was asleep in the back. And we were going, up, we were going over the bridge there at the Nickajack Dam. Some of you know where that's at. We were going over the bridge, and God brought to my remembrance a chapel message that I had heard a few weeks ago. Where, Whoever the speaker was, had said something like this. If you find yourself going through a very difficult time, many times it's because God has something he wants you to do, but you're not ready for it until you go through some things. Now, this was delayed conviction right here. When I heard it, I didn't realize it was for me. But now as I'm driving over Nickajack Dam, I realized this was for me. And I just started weeping. I said, God, that's all right. You just take me as far as you want me to go. And I'll do it. I found out, at least for that particular time in my life, there have been some other trials as well, but this was one of my biggest failures then that became a great victory. At that time, he didn't want to take me any farther down. He just wanted a surrendered heart completely to him. Child of God, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. He does that because you're his. And if you're going through something like that right now, just say, Lord, I've already surrendered to you. I'm yours. Do whatever you want to do. Let's pray. Father. Father. We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I pray, God, <clears throat> I pray you'd help some believers this morning to get some things settled. You know, every everyone here, you know what's in their life right now. Strengthen them, help them, I pray, to turn to you, whatever the trial may be. Lord, if there's one here without Christ, may this morning they decide they're going to turn to the loving God who only allows the trials for their best. Please have your way in every life or I ask it in Jesus' name.